0: Episode 10, The Evolving EHR. Today, I'm speaking with Matt Beer from Hello Health.
1: American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value.
0: Let's talk about the business of healthcare for a sec, specifically fee-for-service. I know many of you listening to this podcast probably know fee-for-service as well or better than I do. But for those that don't know, fee-for-service is when a provider is paid by the services which they are able to deliver. The more services that are delivered, the more a provider, i.e. a a doctor or hospital or, or whomever, gets paid. Paying by the service leads to some kind of weird incentives if you start to think about it. And here's the example that is typically used to illustrate this point. Good surgeon versus bad surgeon. So say I'm a good surgeon. I operate on a patient, sew the patient up, no problems. Patient's in the recovery room, out of the recovery room, up and about in no time. I might get paid, let's just say, $5,000 for that surgery. Now contrast that with a bad surgeon. I'm a bad surgeon, I operate on the patient, I leave a sponge in there, I sew them up, they get an infection, I mess something else up, they, they require a lot of aftercare. If that second surgeon is being paid by the service, and now all kinds of supplementary services are required in order to, to care for the patient, to operate again, to take the sponge out, and to do all kinds of wound treatment because of the way that the patient was sewn up that second surgeon might get paid $20,000. They, they could get paid substantially more than the good surgeon. But that's what happens when you incent simply activity without necessarily measuring what that activity adds up to. And as Peter Drucker says in a quote that I love, what you measure gets managed. A lot of what's going on in, in healthcare, if we're looking at it very pragmatically, it's it's kind of the healthcare industry growing up, if you will. It's it's the healthcare industry being measured by the same standard that if you start to think about it, almost any other industry in the planet is measured by. You've got to produce some sort of deliverable, which somebody is going to look at and evaluate. And that's kind of what's going on in the healthcare industry today. What that means for the healthcare industry is that we really need to upgrade the tools that we're using in order to effectively be able to manage a more sophisticated business. I mean, if you start thinking about it, being paid by the service is a pretty simple business model. You know, all you got to be able to do, and I'm exaggerating for the purposes of clarity, but really all you got to be able to do is track your time or track the services that you're providing. If we start measuring by patient outcomes which is the key performance indicator of the healthcare industry, now all of a sudden it is incumbent on us to keep track of things that we have never kept track of before. Coupled with just all kinds of other factors in the industry, the economy and increasing patient out of pocket and all kinds of other things, the complexity of the healthcare business has inarguably gotten bigger. I don't think anyone would deny that we still have a ways to go for our technology to catch up to the demands that we're placing upon it. But at the same time, some amazing progress has been made over the past couple of years. And that's why I'm so excited to speak with Matt Beer today from, from Hello Health. Matt has been in the EHR business for many years and has a lot of really interesting things to say about the functionality that an EHR system can bring to a physician practice so that they can effectively manage a business in this new environment. A lot of what he talks about, you know, obviously is specific to Hello Health, which is the EHR system that he works for. But I think what the interview really highlights is the fact that a tool like this is necessary that just like I'm thinking about my business you know we're a, an advertising agency where if you took away our computers our business would be absolutely crippled and in the same way the healthcare industry has gotten too sophisticated for doing things the the old way faxes and paper and folders and shuffling things around so that's my main takeaway from this this interview: is is how can we support rapidly evolving healthcare business with a really solid underpinning that's not only going to facilitate the business of healthcare, but by facilitating the business of healthcare, we are axiomatically facilitating the outcome because physicians are paid by outcomes. With that, help me welcome Matt to the program today. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Why don't you just talk a little bit about your current role in, in Hello Health?
1: I've been with Hello Health now for uh, three and a half years. I started in the physician services department, which I have have been running until about a week ago. And what we do is oversee all of uh, the implementation of accounts, as well as kind of the uh, account management that comes after the implementation. But actually, as of this past week, I became in charge of uh, our partnerships and our channel marketing. So I'm really focusing mostly on, you know, our relationships with lab vendors, pharmaceutical vendors, practice management vendors, and all the other uh, cool and unique companies that are coming out into the healthcare woodwork.
0: Wow. So are some congratulations in order?
1: Sure. I'll take what I can get.
0: (laughs) It's really cool. We'll have to talk about some of these uh, some some of these companies in this sec. But what I'm primarily interested right now is how did you get to the the place that you are now? You know, tell us about your your early career and and how it all added up to you getting this position at at Hello Health.
1: Career's been interesting. You know, I am an engineer by trade.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yes. I am, Uh, unfortunately. Not something I actually ever really wanted to do. But if you're good at math, they kind of put you in that bucket. So I was an engineer. I was working out of college. And, you know, my, my dad happens to be an internist. I always kind of grew up in the healthcare environment, always seeing him come home and charting at home and, you know, stressed out. And it never really occurred to me that he would need some help. Obviously, as I got older, I think I was 23 at the time, kind of acknowledged that he was having a hard time and that it would probably not be a terrible idea to go help him out for a few months. Being that he's the guy who supported me and paid for all my schooling, I figured I'd help him out a little bit.
0: Well, you're a good kid.
1: Thank you. And I, uh, I really expected just to spend three to four months in there what kind of happened was the digger you deep inside a medical practice and this has just been i've seen this time and time again at every practice you know i've been in over i've been in hundreds of practices at this point and it's like a, it's like a me- it's a mess and it's like a trick the insurance companies are legitimately almost trying to trick you things i saw wrong were billing was just terrible in his practice codes that were no longer valid were going out the amount of time his staff was dedicating to paperwork and pre-authorizations and pre-certifications and all that stuff w- was basically killing his practice. It's a hamster wheel, and he's seen 25, 30 people a day, which was pretty common at the time. And we're talking about two, 2006, 2007. It was really an opportune time because healthcare IT was just taking off. Prior to that, there was practice management systems were the, the status quo But right in about 2006, 2007, EMR started popping up. There was a few trade shows, a few systems were really coming along. And we decided together to take the leap and uh, find a a good, affordable EHR solution for his practice and implement it. And it was really easy at the time.
0: You were in the practice. You kind of came in just to help straighten that out because you could see that he was, was drowning. Now, when you say it was easy... Was it an easy decision or was it easy to implement? Because one thing I've, I've heard very infrequently about EHR installations is easy.
1: That, that is the case now. In 2006, I would argue that the systems were very rudimentary. It was really just scheduling and easy documentation with templates. The evolution of systems, for even in the past seven years, has been, been mind-blowing. So back then, it was really easy. It was literally an afternoon. Um, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> the Not- good old days. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it didn't slow them down. It was really fantastic. What was hard, though, is, is billing because it's trial and error. And, and, you know, insurance companies don't actually tell you what you're doing wrong. So you send them a claim and they may reject it. And then you're like, hey, why'd you guys reject this claim? And they're like, well, we can't tell you. <laughs> We're not certified. <laughs> <illness."> <laughs> so, so what up Good luck. There? Exactly. They, they refuse to tell you. So you basically try something else, resubmit it, try something else, resubmit it. And it t- takes five or six times. But over time, and it took a while, you learn all the rules. You learn what uh, services primary care providers can provide that would you know, provide them with additional revenue. And uh, you go from there. So I kind of took all those skills, practice management, the billing and the EMR implementation skills and struck out on my own and started doing it full time as a consultant. And it was very easy at the time to find clients who were in need, especially in New York City of all those, all those services.
0: So you're a solopreneur and doctor's offices would hire you and you would come in and evaluate what their needs are and recommend an appropriate EHR, EMR solution, I suppose it was at, the, at that time, and then help them install it. Was that your gig?
1: That was that was my gig. And it, it could range from a week to six months. That's actually how, in fact, I did come to Hello Health. I wanted a system that offered telemedicine as well as the ability to store credit cards Within a system, which we'll get into later, Hello health was the solution at the time. So I actually met with them as a potential client, I went to their offices, wanted to understand them better. And they ended up uh, offering me a job running their implementation team. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, it kind great. of was a match made in heaven because that's what you were doing. So
1: yeah, it's funny how things work out. I didn't really expect it, but uh, it's, it's worked out great.
0: And what were some of the reasons, I mean, I know, obviously, credit cards and telehealth were part of your decision-making criteria. I mean, obviously, at the time, you had dealt with a number of different EHR systems, so you're a good a good judge. What, what was it, what were the aspects of Hello Health that were, were really appealing to you that you would actually want to go and work for them?
1: At, actually, at the time, there weren't that many solutions to choose from, and there was a huge discrepancy in costs. I was seeing 25K per doctor for the more expensive systems, which is really untenable for a primary care or a family, you know, for a primary care provider. Um, And then there was free, this free or inexpensive one. Amazing Charts is a good example of that, which is very inexpensive. And Hello Health did have a free option as well, which was appealing. But that wasn't really what sold me. It was really uh, the telemedicine and the patient portal and all that stuff, which I was most interested in. And the free was just the icing
0: let's fast forward to, to the present day. What do you really think the important reasons are that, that, that HelloHealth really contributes to a physician's ability to deliver care, to, you know, to, to really level up relative to the quality of care that they can deliver?
1: First of all, this goes with some EMRs, but not all. There's really, really advanced searching tools So when you start documenting data in an EHR, it's not just free text anymore. It's going into the system as what's called structured data. So structured data is searchable. If you get a lab test back and your hemoglobin is elevated, that's searchable. The doctor doesn't have to look at a piece of paper from three years ago to find out about that it's really saved as pertinent data in your chart so you can actually use what's called an advanced search tool and search through your patient population for patients who are either at high risk of a disease or over 50 and need a physical there's an endless number of criteria that you can search for and obviously it takes a little bit of time to populate that information into the system but you know within a year you have information and past medical history on basically all of all of your active patients, anything you want to know about a group or a subset of your population, anybody on Lipitor, anybody under 30 with diabetes on Lipitor, you can search that instantaneously. We happen to have a super robust patient portal. So you can actually, with two clicks, find that subset of patients who is either at risk or you just want to talk to who maybe might just be due for their physical exam. You write a note up and you can actually mass message and send all those patients secure uh, emails instantly through the platform.
0: Let's just talk about that for a sec, you know, just from a um, ground level perspective. How how would I decide that I want to speak with all patients under 30 taking lipitor or, or whatever on any given day? Is it mostly a reactive thing or a proactive thing? In other words, do I get um you know, maybe I got a, a, an alert from something that said, hey, you need to reach out to all of these people. And therefore, obviously, that's a very reactive reason why it would be great to have a tool that I could instantly find everyone who met a certain criteria. Or is it more trying to meet a certain quality criteria? I'm trying to get a certain score and a certain one of the quality criteria or a pay for performance measure. So I want to schedule it. So every month, certain things happen or whatnot. Like, how do people think about this?
1: That's a really good question. So far, I've really seen it as reactive. A, a drug is, comes off the market, doctor immediately has to notify all their patients, hey, who are taking that drug, hey, you guys got to stop taking this, come in for a consultation. From from a health maintenance perspective, I I see doctors do a couple things. And you're right, a lot of them are related to, to getting the government money, whether it's the ACO or just meaningful use money, they do do that. In addition, there's also a lot of proactive ways that doctors are using these tools, such as like for physical exams. So while that's not necessarily saving anybody's life who's under duress, it's always good to remind somebody to come in for their annual physical.
0: Considering that Medicare is is paying for physicals now, it it also Mm -hmm. makes good financial sense. Obviously, a preventative tool that somebody figured out somewhere is a a really good thing to make happen. But at the end of the day, it's a win-win,
1: right? Exactly. And, and most Medicare patients don't even know they have a physical now. So even better.
0: Are there other ways that, that the tool can be used really to further patient health? Every practice needs something to manage it, it, its workflow. But I'm just wondering if you manage workflow really well, whether that results in better patient care or better outcomes for patients in any way.
1: It does. The phone. The phone's a big issue at a practice. The doctor has one receptionist and that receptionist is getting 150 calls a day. Patient portals are a huge advantage, primarily because patients can email the doctors directly and the doctor on their own time can respond to those messages. So that, A, it prevents confusion over the patient's issue. There's no longer a middleman taking down the patient's issue. In addition, patients are receiving their results, especially their test results, and their, their assessment and plan, their actual visit notes, they're getting them in real time. So the patients can log in from home, make sure they're adhering to the doctor's advice really well, and have clear copies of all their results. This is especially helpful, obviously, if they're going to a specialist. So we have patients who log in to HelloHealth into the portal while they're at their specialist's office, and that specialist can now look through all their medical records. So there is definitely improvement in outcomes.
0: That seems to make a ton of sense because information is power. And if you're giving, Mm -hmm. obviously, you can't expect patients to engage in their own healthcare, which is the buzzword of the year, Mm -hmm. if they don't have the information in order to to do so.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Relative to the emailing, I'm just trying to think of myself as as a provider. And I think what I might be concerned about is patients would stop coming into the office and start emailing me and my reimbursements would decline. Do you you see that as an issue or...?
1: You know, we, we get asked that at just about every implementation. What we've found is people are going to call the practice with small questions no matter what. Either that, that question is coming in as an email or it's coming in as a phone call. What's been great, though, is our system actually allows the practice to store credit cards. If the patient really does not want to come in and it's more than, you know, that, that five second response, doctors are actually telling the patients, hey, this is in lieu of a visit. Unless, unless you want to come in, I'm going to have to charge you. For this visit and the doctor can on the spot actually charge for the response of that message.
0: Now, is that something that the doctor is charging on a cash basis or is it actually reimbursable from insurance?
1: Unfortunately, it's not reimbursable yet. The doctors are usually pretty fair, we generally don't see it higher than a copay, and it's a huge time saver for the patient, for the doctor, and every, everybody wins. So, that's kind of the main hub of our practice is that we do allow the provider to store credit cards on their patients and non-reimbursable CPTs are a big problem and you know doctor obviously doesn't get reimbursed for lots of stuff so that helps with that problem. Uh, the other issue it solves is that insurance companies and insurance plans are getting worse and worse and worse and everybody has a $5,000 deductible with a 40% coinsurance now so doctors are getting absolutely killed with patient balances that are going unpaid. So really the future as we see it is storing credit cards and you know the minute you get that EOB back from United Healthcare saying the patient owes 250 bucks, you can run that card because you're going to be hard pressed to actually get that money out of the out of the patient.
0: Explanation of benefits EOB Exactly. It sounds like we should talk a little bit about the Hello Health um, system because one of the things I was really fascinated by is the fact that it's free.
1: Yeah. So we are one of the uh, few no cost EHRs on the market. I believe there's roughly three, three to five out there.
0: How do you make money? Okay.
1: Well, we have a lot <laughs> let's, of. Let's cut to that. <laughs> exactly. Well, no ads, that's for sure. And we definitely don't sell any data to pharmaceutical companies, which, which is, which is nice. So we offer a lot of really clever options to doctors and, you know, going back to my history and seeing how tough it is, especially for primary care doctors and, you know, pediatricians actually have it worse. I wanted to work for a company and provide tools that made it a easy for a doctor to run his practice and b to actually stay in business, which is a major problem now, as you know. We offer a lot of different options for our doctors. Uh, The first is just a standard free option, no strings attached, just use our system. The second option we have is a, a revenue share. Patients do have an option, like we discussed earlier, to pay for an enhanced portal for certain features. These would include emailing the doctor, telemedicine, refill requests. And other things that we that we discussed a little bit earlier. In such a scenario, which it's usually about seventy bucks a year all in for the patient, we then just split that revenue directly uh, with the doctor. So we are a revenue generating tool. In addition, like uh, a few of our competitors. We do offer full billing solutions.
0: Let's take those one at a time. So we've got (laughs) we've got the free option and I'm assuming that it's kind of like I I sign up for certain things on the Internet all the time for free and you get kind of the pared down version and there's only so much, um, you know, so many hours. You could use it a month or or
1: something like that.
0: Would that be the equivalent of what you guys are doing?
1: it's actually not the case the only feature that's missing is and that's only because we don't really have a financial relationship with the doctor who has a free account is the ability to store credit your patient credit cards but you know the thing is we're obviously we're so confident in that tool that doctors consistently upgrade and want to use additional services we offer
0: option 2 is that your revenue is funded by a split patient portal fee I'm curious about this. How how many patients choose to pay for the premium
1: portal? It really depends on the practice and the insurance mix. So, for example, a practice with low Medicaid population perhaps or no Medicaid population perhaps, we see 90% patient patient uptick. I have seen as low as 40% that is generally in practices which have a higher Medicare, Medicaid population. A lot of patients can't even access the portal. They don't have computers, they don't use them, they don't have the money, so they won't generally be paying but that's usually the range and we have a lot of you know we have a lot of practice in that 80 90 range believe it or not
0: the advantage to the patient is that they've got a place that stores all of their health information that they can email the doctor that the doctor suddenly becomes um available to them via online in between visits or or in the situations that you just described
1: exactly they can view all the records Fewer unnecessary visits, those really quick questions, the doctor can just, for lack of a better word, bang out, is covered. Uh, faster turnaround of results, like in real time, all your test results, everything done in the office. Again, your assessment and plan are all online. And you're not calling the office sitting on hold for 10 minutes. Any small request, you want to schedule your appointment, you do it on there. You the, It pays for itself in, in in one use, basically.
0: In your system... You, you've you got an online scheduling. So for example, just like my hair salon, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, can, I can log on and it'll show, oh, there's availability Friday at, at two and I can just plug myself in. Is it that easy?
1: It's that easy. And the doctor can actually decide what types of appointments they're willing to take at what time period. So it's not just, hey, my schedule's open eight to five. It's the doctors basically said, okay, on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'll take physicals and sick visits from 8 to noon, but then no more online appointments in the afternoon. Or we have a lot of pediatricians actually, who will keep open every day, 12 to 1 p.m. just for sick visits. And they're strictly reserved for online appointments.
0: I can see if as a patient, how much more convenient that would be, then you're absolutely right. You know, trying to call over there and then you get put on hold and there's a stressed out poor receptionist who's sitting there trying to juggle 15 phone calls.
1: Exactly. And All appointment confirmations, appointment reminders, those are all automated as well. So right there, I mean, the receptionist is saving 45 minutes of time at the end of her day, calling everybody and reminding them to come in the next day.
0: And then the third option that we had talked about is um, the full billing solution option and revenue cycle management, which doesn't have a lot to do, I don't think, with um, value you know, which in the name of this podcast is Relentless Health Value, but is there something that you just want to talk about a little bit about that?
1: The the value here is, you know, falls back into Hello Health's mission, which is to allow primary care pro- providers to stay independent, not be swooped up by a hospital. So the RCM model is a valuable tool. We feel like it's a no-brainer. We've had a lot of success with it. And we will do all your billing for you. So you're just saving a ton of time. It's all seamless, built into our system. And uh, we can generally do it for a very inexpensive uh, rate.
0: There's one thing that you said earlier that um, I I wrote it down in my notebook here. And that is, um, you mentioned that on the patient portal, the patient can access their patient plan which I immediately, my ears perked up when you said that because of just the amount of buzz lately that's been going on about, once again, patient engagement, but also the fact that half the time patients walk out of a doctor's office and the doctor just rattled off 15 things for them to do. And if asked two minutes after leaving the doctor's office what they were supposed to do, so many patients can't even remember, they didn't quite understand, and they
1: they were afraid to ask. That's it. Exactly. So the patient walks into the practice, um, let's say they've never been there before. They walk in, there's an iPad that we've actually created a proprietary piece of software on. It's a check-in application. Patient checks in, creates their online portal account, and they check in for their appointment. They don't actually have to speak to the receptionist. The doctor sees them, they write their entire note, they sign off on the note. The moment the doctor actually signs off on the note, the patient is notified in their email, hey, you know, your visit notes are uploaded into the portal, log in to view them. The patient can then instantly, you know, the moment they leave the office, log in. They don't have to have a carry piece of paper with them. And they can see exactly verbatim what the doctor wrote, not only in the plan and, the assess- in the plan and assessment, but other pieces of the note as well. The doctor actually has the ability to share as much or as little of the note as they want
0: it does sound like this system that you have really automates a lot of these functions, which when disconnected, probably just add a lot of busy work that doesn't really add up to much.
1: That's the whole thing. I would argue that all the systems out there are still in their adolescence and mastering an office workflow is a very difficult thing. And primary one, as you just mentioned, is paper management. And that's something we've, we've been focusing on for a few years now. That little piece of paper that comes in through the mail and gets opened by the receptionist and then stapled to a patient's chart and then reviewed by the doctor and then given back to the receptionist to call the patient to tell them the results um, and then filed away and then the charts filed back. That process is very is a lot more complicated to do on a computer. So that's something we've really focused on and it works really well.
0: Uh, one question that I, I that we wrestle with a lot just sort of in my day job is what, what information are EHR systems collecting relative to patient demographics? So for example, in, in that intake form that you were talking about, do most practices know which of their patients smoke, for example, and which of their patients are raging alcoholics or gender? You know, what what kinds of things are logged about the the patient demographics typically?
1: From a demographic standpoint. If you are complying with meaningful use requirements, they are going to ask you for the ethnicity and the race of the patient. That's a no-brainer. Smoking status, all that stuff, is required to be inputted as well. Whether the patient tells the truth, which usually is not the, is usually not the case, doesn't matter, but that is, that is a required piece of documentation. A lot of social history questions are also actually required, allergy, stuff like that. And the doctor just gets those down the first visit, Or the medical assistant enters them and it's done.
0: Is there any way that the system pulls together information in order to, you know, once again, so that the doctor is alerted if there's a safety risk, for example, or any other ways that patient care can be automated or that the doctor can be given a leg up relative to either reducing the, the possibility of a negative outcome or improving the chance of a positive one?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, for example, if you know a patient's uh, allergic to peanuts, you're going to enter that in the system. The system now knows officially what this patient's allergic to and what the patient's reaction is. Then at the end of the visit, you're prescribing a drug. The system knows through clinical decision support immediately whether, A, the patient has any allergies, which are going to interfere with that drug, or, if there's going to be any other drug allergy. So it does drug-drug compliance and drug-allergy compliance instantly, which is obviously something that you can't really do on paper off the top of your head.
0: I can imagine that that saves a lot of emergency room visits. Mm -hmm. Here's another question that I am frequently in the middle of uh, in some way. And that is, say that the doctor wants to send a note to the pharmacy. Is that possible with with the prescribing within... Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's it's one of the requirements in there. The you know there is required data, and one of the sections is pharmacy notes. So that is built in. You can write you can write whatever the heck you want, or you can write nothing.
0: Say someone is looking to, if you think about it, you started out as, a, as an engineer, you could be working for some giant engineering firm at, at, at this point, but instead you decided to, to strike out on your own first as a solopreneur and then you joined a, I'm not going to say a startup because Hello Health is, is fairly well established, but a, but a smaller company. Sure. What, what advice do you have for somebody who's looking to perhaps leave a large corporate job and, and go with a smaller, more entrepreneurial-focused company?
1: It's interesting. We've actually been approached by a lot of companies. There's a lot of accelerators here uh, in New York, Blueprint Health being one of them, Startup Health being another. And we get approached all the time with little apps or little widgets that would like to either incorporate with our system Or uh, you know, they just want to kind of hear our feedback on them. As far as striking out on your own in healthcare, you you can't be all encompassing. You really just have to solve one specific problem. A really good example of that is a website called covermymeds.com. They're based out of Ohio. They solve the problem. Of prior authorizations for farms for you know pharmaceuticals. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, but they are now a massive company, and all they do is really process pre-authorizations for drugs, which is a was a, used to be a really tedious process for office staff. But now this office staff just logs in and they can s- submit the request to Etna within 30 seconds, when it used to be a 30 minute call. Another really cool company out there is someone like Updocs, and instead of You know, approaching the system and saying, Hey, we we want to get into a doctor's office and fix everything. They just said, Look, let's focus on one thing. Let's focus on paper management. How can we make the incoming fax machine and the sorting of faxes and the filing of faxes really hyper efficient? And they mastered that. They're doing a great job. And now they integrate with 45 different EMRs. Uh, So, my suggestion would be to uh, solve a simple problem and to make sure that EMRs will work with you because. The doctor's office basically runs off the EMR. It is the hub. Staff members want fewer logins at the end of the day, not more. So if you can get into a system and be part of a system and be, you know, in their app store or connect through their API, I think you're uh, in really good shape. And, you know, ZocDoc, of course, is another example of that. You know, when they first started, it was kind of a freestanding tool. But now they integrate with everybody. So their schedule actually syncs with the EMR with every doctor's schedule, which was, uh, I think, necessary for the revolution.
0: Basically, your advice is do one thing and do it really, really well. Something that's going to meet a, a big and pervasive need that's out in the marketplace. And I like how you gave the three examples. So your examples are CoverMyMeds.com and uh, UpDocs and finally ZocDocs.
1: Of course, Hello Health as well, where now we store your credit cards and you're you're not losing money.
0: Absolutely. But I also think, you know, it was interesting that you mentioned startup health and, and blueprint health. And obviously they are pretty wise if they are approaching EMRs and saying, Hey, can you take a look at this? Because if at the end of the day the EMRs are going to be a critical success factor, then obviously figuring out sooner rather than later if there's going to be uptake is key.
1: That's it. And also, you know, more importantly, it's, it's, it's hard to sell the doctors. Doctors are too busy to buy stuff or to use new tools. It really has to be just like served, you know, presented to them on a silver platter or else they're not going to use it. So by integrating with an EMR, you kind of have a built-in, built-in market, built-in user.
0: What's next for you, Matt? Any cool things coming up? I mean, I know you just got promoted, so maybe that's the news of the week. But um, you doing anything on on the horizon that we should know about?
1: We are partnering, you know, one of our big things now is partnering with lab companies. Labs are kind of the next frontier in EMRs, especially with Quest, LabCorp, BioReference, all these companies. Staff members are still using the proprietary software of these companies to order test results. We're looking to really make effective bidirectional interfaces where doctors can order all the tests very easily, very systematically through our system. And that's not something that people have done particularly well yet. So that's, that's my primary focus right now. Other big stuff would be uh, referral management. Again, that has not been really handled very well. There's a small company out there called par 80, or I guess they, I guess they pronounce it a Pareto, but there's a uh, number 80 in there. They, they do some referral management. The real future of referrals though, is in direct messaging and meaningful use too. And I think there's going to be a lot of improvements uh, for tracking patients, for example, like compliance. So a doctor sends a patient for a cardiology consult. The numbers are staggering how many people actually don't follow up on that cardiology consult. So this system will actually trigger the cardiologist that, hey, uh, you know, I sent you a patient. Just be on the lookout. This patient's supposed to be scheduling with you. And as soon as that patient actually does schedule that appointment, that'll trigger back to the primary care provider. Hey, you know, your patient scheduled the best. Thank you for the referral.
0: I can see how that would be a really important feature to have, especially if you're trying to go for PCMH requirements as an independent. You'd really need to know that. Yep, that's it. Well, this has been really interesting. I thank you so much for being on the show today, Matt.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Hello Health Head over to relentlesshealthvalue.com/slash 10 and you will find the bio of Matt Beer and you will also find links to the Hello Health website. Did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? You can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you look over in the right-hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes, and if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says get the podcast delivered to your email. If you click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one S, Health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.